Welcome to our first podcast, courtesy of the Alaska Teen Media Institute, where we highlight the views, opinions, and talents of Alaska's youth. We are truly grateful to have access to a platform such as this, and we will at least try to use it responsibly. Blessed with the free reins in this experiment, we hope to not only be insightful, but also entertaining. On this show, we have an interview with two of the youth behind an organization called MHATS and a filmmaker roundtable. Now then, to start us off, we will be heading into spoiler territory. That is right, we'll be discussing the newest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Endgame. I recommend coming back in about five minutes if you haven't already seen it. Don't worry, we'll wait. Hi, I'm Zane Penny. I'm Cornelius Nelson. And I'm Kendrick Whiteman. Alright, so should we talk about Endgame? Yeah, I think it's about time. Alright, spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah, two weeks have passed. I think it's fair game now. Mm. Fair game? Yeah. End game. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, okay, no. so out of Infinity War and Endgame, which one would you say is better? I think Endgame does a better job of like... Well, Endgame is the closing hit to the combo that is 10 years of movies... And Infinity War did a really good job of being a setup movie. And, like, a lot of people say, like, oh, Infinity War was okay, I guess. Or, like, oh, Endgame isn't better than Infinity War. It's, like, it's more a matter of did it answer what the previous movies have set up? And I think yes. Well, I think up until this point, well, leading up to Infinity War, um, the idea of Thanos and his thing is a... was only hinted at. Mm-hmm. And I think when they brought like that 22 movies or however, all of that just cooking up. But uh, the thing with Infinity War is that it it took away a lot of characters. And I think um, counterbalancing that with grief, uh, a majority of the part of the second movie after... Most of the audience already, quote, grieved uh, at the end of Infinity War. It just feels like it's just uh, drawing it out. Yeah, I understand. I I really loved both movies. I'm, like, really in the superhero movies and stuff. But I think, I don't know, as far as, I think I got more emotional for Infinity War. Like I think that tr- like hit my emotions a lot better than yeah. Endgame, but it was yeah because Infinity War did the thing that like that snap, bam! That's everyone. Almost everyone lost their favorite character in some way. Everyone mm-hmm. lost a bunch of characters that they liked. So it's like ah, how do you step up loss from that point? I think one of my favorite parts of movies like that is the shock factor. Yeah, and when they did that, I was like. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but like Hawkeye and Black Widow fighting over who gets to kill himself, not as shocking. It's Yeah. Yeah, but Oh man. I think Endgame was I I'd say disappointing in comparison because I think the end was this kind of a I I don't know what the word for it is. It's just too convenient. It's just Tony Stark happened to be able to build another Infinity Gauntlet that was able to do what 
It's basically yeah. the same thing, but he was, for some reason, able to recreate it. I mean, to be fair, like, also, almost all of the MacGuffins failed. Like, the gauntlet, uh, that thing almost killed Hulk. Hulk could barely handle it. Captain Marvel got smacked off almost immediately. <laughs> all, I think it's okay to use the MacGuffin if the MacGuffin has the chance to fail. Like, if you can crit fail it, it's fair. Yeah, I guess so. It's just, um, Endgame had a lot less emotional pull for me. It just, I don't know, it didn't click with me like Infinity War did. I, yeah, I think me too. I really loved Endgame, though. I think it was, like, really good at just kind of, like, ending things off. It was too long. I, I didn't really think, I didn't really feel like it was three hours when I was in there. Cause I it was, felt like know. the first 20 minutes of that movie was, like, didn't really need jokes, but there was jokes here and there, and they felt really out of place. Like, a lot of it just felt more like, like depressed humor, and it was like, yeah, it's funny, but jokes aren't really sticking right now. When Thor plays Fortnite... I was like crying. Oh, that's that was so funny. I, I was almost, like so excited to tell the people Russo about brothers that. are doing good with Thor. Yeah, but that what Fortnite? That that yeah. Kiwi character like no, the, the rock dude. Thor's character has been I broken. Him. Like his character has been actually like getting development since Ragnarok. Yeah, then like And we... so they're like breaking down him as a hero versus just doing like, oh look, blonde yelling boy with a hammer. <laughs> and when you're broken you play Fortnite. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> but happy people don't play Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, Facts. I, mean, I don't know, I, I I just felt the hit a bit home for some of the main for Marvel fans maybe that the Thor was just Fortnite. This, uh, he was an alcoholic. Yeah, because was, that's like, what uh, happens. Fortnite all the time and yelling at Noob Masters sixty nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, how is he gonna handle mass genocide? His kingdom getting torn away from him. His dad dying, mom dying, brother dying. It's like it's a lot of hits. It'd be real weird if he was super functional. Okay, I think my my favorite part of the whole movie. I'm not even. I don't like. I mean, I like Captain America, but not like like that you know uh-huh. but when he like got the tamer that was like one of my favorite parts. i think i just I like how they emphasize that. on hey captain america's dummy thick <laughs> yeah like, they really pushed that joke and it was like fine yeah, well fine come on, bro just fine i'll take it just are you done now <laughs> yeah the new the new captain america better be uh up to par I, I think it doesn't matter. Captain America's a character is a really flatly written character who has never questions himself, which is why Captain America's Civil War is a good movie because, hey, Captain America's finally asking a question. Yeah, he was just kind of just like a, a robot up until then. Yeah, I think Falcon taking over the reins as Captain America is the best way to go because Falcon actually has personality when he's on screen, but just he doesn't get a lot of screen time, so he's easy to forget it. Yeah, there's good memes made about it. Yeah. I'm really excited Ooh. for Far From Home. Too. Yeah. We got that.
Back in December of 2018, ATME hosted a youth film screening, the after-school special, in association with the Anchorage International Film Fest. And following that, ATME producer Madison Dooley hosted a roundtable discussion with a few filmmakers from the after-school special, as well as some youth who just enjoy a good movie. Hope you like this roundtable discussion. This is Madison Dooley talking with Zane Penny, Devin Schreckengost, Daisy Carter, Logan Smith, Madison Hill, and Brandon Joseph. What is more important in filmmaking? Is it visuals or storytelling? I think they're equally important, but because film is a visual medium, gun to my head, it'd have to be visual. But storytelling is very important, too. I agree with that. I feel like it's kind of a 50-50 thing. Visuals are obviously what attracts people, and that's what's going to pull people in the most. But there also has to be a good story because, you know, no one wants to be falling asleep on an $11 movie that they paid for. But, I mean, I think visuals probably would be more of the upper hand in that. Okay, well, I think that story is more important than visuals because it doesn't matter if they filmed up here majestically but there's no story (laughs) or like the story's crap i wouldn't consider that a good movie i would definitely take a good story but really bad visuals over really good visuals and a bad story you can have the flashiest wackiest darn visuals that the world's ever seen but if you have a crappy script it's not going to save your movie story comes first and to me it almost barely matters what you film on as long as you can tell what's happening on screen and you have a strategic way in pointing your camera you can film on the phone as long as your story is solid i guess it really depends on what it is but like for me i believe it is kind of the storytelling I guess I should say, if you're making an Avengers movie, that visuals does, in fact, matter more than story. So, I mean, it just depends what you're making. Do you think films make an impact on culture? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say films can be a pretty nuanced and effective way to explore pretty complicated issues, although that definitely does depend on the film. Like, obviously, Star Wars is going to have a lot to offer on right and wrong, but it's not going to have a lot to offer on, like, Uh, What do we do about this specific political issue? Like, it definitely depends on the film, and you kind of have to pick and choose what aspects of society it affects. I think films do affect society, especially in meme culture, definitely. Each film can give birth to a lot of new memes. In this day and age, that's kind of a big part of our culture. I think it does, because, you know, there are some movies, like, from the 19, like, 40s and 50s that were, like, super sexist and super racist, but they're, like, classics in a way. So I think it definitely, like, shapes, like, how we view things, and I think it's just interesting, like, how, like, with society changes, like, also movie changes. Do you think films from other eras truthfully represent the time periods? Yeah, I I think so, yeah, probably because based on the stereotypes at that time, they wanted to make a movie that was from around that era, I guess. They want to make something entertaining so um, people could like it and they could watch it over and over again. I think for me it's hard to tell just because I wasn't born in those generations, so I can't I can't say from personal experience that I know what it looked like back then. There has been a lot of movies that have done it really well. They've made it look like that era, but I mean... I can't tell. I wasn't there. I think uh, in an expansion on previous statements that they can explain, like, if the film was made in a particular decade, it can explain how we feel in that decade. 
But it also explains how we feel about previous decades if a movie like from the 80s, like Back to the Future, goes back to the 50s. Like, it also kind of informs how we feel about that previous generation as well. So I think our real frame of reference is past, present, and future, and our views of the future will always be different than our views on the past. But uh, to answer the question more specifically, I do think it does inform how we look at the previous two decades, past and present, more than anything else. Um, How important is diversity in films? Uh, I think it's important depending on the uh, film that's being made. Like if it's a period piece, you'd want very specific uh, diversity in play depending on that time period. In modern day, yeah, I'd say it's important. Like I can't provide a more nuanced explanation than that. Diversity in films here in 2019 is probably very important to other people. There are a lot of activists now in this decade, I want to say. And um, I think a lot of people want to see more diversity in films because there's not as much of it. That's not just racial diversity, it's cultural diversity, religious diversity. I think in I think in order to for a film to be realistic, it should have a lot of diversity just because you can't have a film and base it in 2019 and just have like only white people, like white Christian people because that's not what it is like in 2019. I feel like diversity in movies is really really important. Um I can't really think of too many examples right at the top of my head, but um, there are a really good amount of examples of like, you know, whitewashing in film where it's it's like someone from a different culture being represented by white people. I guess I can get why that happens, but it's also like it's unrealistic. You to represent the culture by the people who are in that culture and there are actors in that culture. So use those actors. How can we promote representation in film? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, incentivized ways to do that, but I I honestly am not an expert in that field, so I wouldn't know 100% for sure how we could do it, but I do think there are ways to do it. I think through history we've been doing a lot better, definitely, because there isn't a lot of whitewashing anymore. There still is, but it's not as, like, often as it was. As far as having more representation i i don't know i definitely think we are doing better as time goes on um i guess i feel like the only way to have more diversity and representation in films nowadays is to open the door for those people to be involved i'm trying not to open a can of worms here but i feel like there's a um like a surplus or like there's more white people in film than there is any other like race or culture and i feel like we just need to I don't know, just, I guess, open the door, yeah. So does one person make an entire film or show unwatchable? With the Me Too movement, all of the people who are being called out, should their previous work, like, should we not watch their previous work? Or should we watch it because they're only one person and lots of, like, hundreds of other people worked on this as well? To be clear, like, it depends on the actual quality of the work. I watched this Netflix original called Master of None, which is directed and starring a guy named Aziz Ansari, who has been accused in the Me Too movement, kind of. The show is still good and provides, you know, nuanced kind of social commentary outside of the Me Too movement, and towards the end, kind of within it. But I think the show itself is watchable, but not all shows are like that by some of the people. And the usual suspects I really enjoy, even though Kevin Spacey's a monster, so... I think that's backing me into a corner, but it honestly depends on the actual quality of the work to begin with. 
if you can separate man from the art. As a kid, I watched the Cosby show a ton and I loved it and I can't watch it anymore. Before all that stuff was like brought to light, I loved that show. I think it kind of depends on like how big of a role they play in the whole production of it just because if they if they were like director producer starring in it like all that stuff then it might make it unwatchable but I mean especially for like victims and stuff but from an like an outside perspective I just I I think it has to do with like uh how big of a role they played but also like the quality of the work uh, I do think that it shouldn't just go by like like unnoticed just because it's a good movie or TV show though. I've been struggling with this for a while and I think I've come to the conclusion that it depends on the medium or what it is that's being filmed. On one end of the spectrum, you have Kevin Spacey in Baby Driver. I love his character and I still do and I get mixed feelings about that myself. So I think maybe in this instance or in instances like it when it comes to fictional movies, we might be able to separate the talent from the person. But when it comes to, like, say, Louis C.K. and his stand-up comedy, that's different because it's stemming from personal experience. I don't think that's something I can tolerate, and I don't think I've watched Louis C.K.'s comedy ever since I found out about that sort of thing. So there's a lot of gray areas to me. When certain actors play a movie role, it's not them. Like, it's not their personality. It's not, like, who they are. That's a good way of like separating artists from art, but as far as comedians like Louis C.K., um, that's like his personality that he brings on stage. So separating his art, there isn't the line is just a lot more faded. So I, th I think your original question was whether or not um, we should dismiss the entire work because one person exactly one person should not bring down the quality of work that thousands of people did for millions of dollars. I feel like that shouldn't be possible, but I totally get everyone else's side of the issue, and I'm not negating that at all. But personally, I feel like that's a lot of work that would go wasted because of one person. I understand where you guys are coming from, but it's also, you have to think about that actor or actress is, they, that's something that they put their time into. Like, that's something that represents them. And if they've done something wrong to someone else and they've known that they did it, like they kept it a secret, why should we support that? Does anyone have anything they want to say before we're done? Just uh, wanted to say, I guess, that I enjoyed hanging out with you guys. It's been a very fun, <laughs> been a very uh, fun circle of hard questions. <laughs> but I, I get the questions had to be hard. Like it's kind of necessary to ask hard questions of people who have really strong opinions. I'd like to thank everyone for being here, even though it's not my job, so. <laughs> Shout out to Alaska filmmakers. Go out and go to film festivals here in Alaska. Go support everyone. This was a fun one hour. <laughs> like, it felt like much more than one hour. It's been 45 minutes. Oh, what? Like, see, it's, it felt longer than that. Um. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what I was doing when I first came here, and I thank you for that. Thank you for inviting me, Madison. Um, I thought this was really nice to be able to think deeper, I guess, in a way, about movies. I don't usually do anything like this, and I thought this was a great conversation. I don't want to be, like, you know, your cliche inspirational. I don't know. If there's anyone who, like, wants to make movies 
and they feel like they can't, just freaking do it. Just get your phone out and start filming. Like, there's literally nothing stopping you. Just from me and Brandon's experience, just literally start filming random crap. You gotta start somewhere, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to start somewhere. Awesome sauce. Thank Bye. you for being here. Thanks, guys. Now, wasn't that something? That was the Filmmakers Roundtable, hosted by Madison Dooley. The segment was produced and edited by Devin Treckengoss. Thank you once again. Recently, we were blessed with wacky and creative outfits from the 2019 Met Gala, and it's up to us, random teenagers, to discuss and judge them. There was some pretty good and pretty terrible There's ones. some hits and there's some misses. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And if you got an outfit, I bet it didn't dress you. <laughs> Yeah, I bet some of, us, some of us disagree about uh, how some should be judged, like Cardi B, for example. I'm not. I'm not. I, don't I think the strongly. outfit's nice. I don't have a strong opinion on Cardi B, but I got that outfit's fire. What drip is know. drip? Just, well, like I don't know. It felt almost offensive. How? Well, because it was like it almost seemed like it was being so over the top, like Middle Eastern or something. And, I don't know, I felt like she was pushing the limit, but it was, for some reason, people don't care about it. I mean, the alternative, I mean, that's what the Met Gala is about. It's about creating these crazy, wonderful outfits. And then you have people that just show up and playing black tuxes, and you should go home. I stand by, like, at least, like, right. have Frank a glittery Ocean tux. Look that bad. Frank Ocean looks fire and everything. <laughs> he looks, yeah. someone says he looks like, like, uh... Just like some random security guard. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> Kanye, I love Kanye West looked like he was working on the on the set, you know. He yeah, like, he just got back from the. He just got back from Yeezy, setting up mics, like you, you, factory. He was just painting the set over there. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Travis Scott's outfit's cool. Too bad it looks like a Nazi outfit. <laughs> what if he was going for that? Like, I doubt uh, it. Travis like Scott's wear. a bit too woke for that. I think. Is Travis Scott woke? Travis Scott's woke. <laughs> I have never like heard. Travis that Scott and ASAP like... Rocky are like the Renaissance men of rap. <laughs> there are some blank stares going around. Yeah, some blank thoughts with that too. Um, oh, let's see. Zane's favorite. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ezra Miller. James Charles. No, absolutely <laughs> oh, not. I forget Come that on, James bro. Charles exists until he did shows you, up, and I'm like, go away. Did you see the video where no one's taking a photo of him, yeah. and he's like standing there awkwardly trying to get their attention? It's so funny. I actually have. I haven't seen any of that footage. His outfit. I hate. I don't like the whole uh, zero opacity shirt look. He it wore, looks dumb. Wait, 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 he wore what? a Coachella outfit. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, you're not at Coachella. You're at the Met Gala. I stand by my point. Uh, Ella Belinsky, Al- Ella Belinska's outfit was fire. It looks like a steel fan. It looks cool. Objectively, Ezra Miller. Eh. I, I think it looks cool if you want to play on the whole like body horror design aspect. Yeah, it's oh, cool. I wouldn't say it's horror, but it's just not like... like that style of like dysmorphia look. I think it's cool, but also like, yeah, that's that's an e- that's a one that everyone's gonna like. Yeah, but it's just like a, I don't know. I'd say it's more experimental. If we're talking like having experiment, 
whoever his makeup artist is is ridiculous. Yeah. No, and I, then he has that mask along with Okay, that. then Jared Leto's outfit's amazing in that case. Uh, I, looks I like I Ringo. <laughs> you say he looks like Ringo? Yeah, he looks like a beetle. <laughs> yeah. He kind of does, like a 21st century beetle. Yeah. Either that or like a stereo, like stereotypical like Disney pirate, you know, like a, <laughs> from, from like Peter <laughs> Pan or something. I agree. That's so fire. Zendaya I kills it that. in everything. Zendaya kills it wherever she goes. That's that's just fast. She's kind of a god at the yeah. Face. The... What was her outfit again? Uh, it was like the Cinderella one, and she like did a whole ass movie like. Yeah, there's she... like smoke effects and just twirls and everything. Killed it. And that's... she like lost her slipper. She on the stairs hit and the shit. mark. Like I feel like the marks for the Met Gala are these three things: design, theme. In performance, because really? how you act in your outfit says a lot about the outfit, like the swooshes like, and the way like, like she Lady sold Gaga. that outfit. Like I know, like yeah, like Lady Gaga for example is like a really extra character, but she sells whatever outfit she, she's wearing. Like the bacon, she wore like a, <laughs> she wore like a huge ass like Cardi B train, and then she stripped, and then she was like, yeah. Now you're making now there's an interest, but we're already <laughs> halfway through this. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, who haven't we judged? I think that's been just like the most interesting ones. John's giving me the aggressive keep it going symbol. All right. Um, oh, no, 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 no he's giving us the death, the death symbol, the, the guillotine. Well, looks like that's it. Well, that's it. Well, that's it. Cornelius here, coming at you with a new interview. I got the chance to talk to two members of MHATS, Mental Health Advocacy Through Storytelling, a student-led organization to open up discussion about mental health. On April 19th, they presented their stories in front of a live audience at the Alaska Church of Love. This interview was recorded prior to that show. Please introduce yourselves. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Bert Croft. I'm a senior at West right now. Um, yeah. My name is Natalie Fraser. I'm a junior at West. I like dogs and roller skating. So you folks are from M Hats. Uh, what is M Hats? Well, first, I always tell people it stands for Mental Health Advocacy Through Storytelling, and it's a group of currently eight teenagers who. Um, we act as both storytellers and organizers. So our goal is to destigmatize mental health conversations by talking about our own personal experiences. Exactly. The, the concept of it was that um, we all deal with mental health throughout our lives, whether it's mental illness or mental hardship or anything in between, yet the conversations we have around mental health don't really adequately address the problems and struggles we all face. And so we wanted to try to open up some conversations about the issues. So every two weeks we meet as a group and we practice storytelling, we learn about mental health history, we learn about different ways that people have advocated for access to mental health resources. Um, recently, actually, a couple of MHATS members went down to Juno to talk to legislators about the importance of mental health in young people. And then we're also putting on a final storytelling show. So what has been the main driving force behind the movement? 
I think we were incredibly lucky. Um, well, I had the idea originally and was able to reach out to Anchorage Youth Development Coalition and get grant funding from it. But more than any of that is just we were incredibly lucky to have so many people who were invested from an early time. So, um, for example, Burke, who's here with me, is the first person I ever told about the idea and just received really amazing support early on. Um, and then we talked to other teens we knew who were already interested in mental health. We did a lot of recruiting. Um, I think the drive behind the program is just the passion that we have as teenagers, um, both coming from our own experiences and what we see other people going through, that we want to keep talking about it. Absolutely. Like, all the, almost all the organization and actual, like, um, making of MHATS was youth-led. How, however, that is... It, Along the whole way, adults in our community, whether they're from StoryWorks or, or um, NAMI or any other organizations that have helped us along the way, have really given us the tools to be able to make the most out of this project. I think that there's just so much individual investment we put into. Um, I have this document where I've been tracking all the hours we put into it. And in total, um, all of us contribute, like all together, we've all contributed over 100 volunteer hours. Um, I know I spent a lot of time checking emails in my inbox, figuring out paperwork. Um, and I think it's just you keep doing it because it feels important and because it feels valuable and oh. because you want to help people. Awesome. Yeah, there's something, uh, there's like the gift of giving. It's really nice. Yeah, one of the things, Jason, um, he works at NAMI, and he's someone who comes to a lot of our meetings. And one of the things he was saying to me at the dress rehearsal for this show was when someone tells a story, they don't lose anything. Storytelling isn't a zero-sum game. They choose to give something to an audience or to another person, and both people feel more whole as a result. What change have you seen come from MHATS? I, I can speak to this personally. Um, the experience, I think, of being part of a group where its stated mission is to talk about personal experiences with mental health has made me so much more conscious of my own mental health. I definitely went in thinking that I was coming from that position of positive strength and that I was doing really well. Um, but just being part and being around other teenagers who care so much about it has made me more conscious about my own mental health. And so even as um, we're preparing for the show, I think that I've been more conscious about like managing stress levels and making sure I'm having healthy habits. Exactly. Uh, up to this point, most uh, of the things that I think have come out of MHATS have been from the members themselves after talking about it for so much and have been personal growth in uh, understanding their own mental health and understanding how to best look out for mental health of others in their daily lives. But one of the things that I've seen as the biggest change so far is just the group itself. Because as Natalie said, we have eight people right now, um, eight teenagers. And it's the way that I feel like we've all become so much closer. Like mm -hmm. at the start, we were all semi-strangers. Like we all had, had knew each other or in some ways, and some of us were friends beforehand. But I've seen some people who we're clearly kind of not incredibly comfortable coming into this space at the start, come into their own. And it's just amazing to see people become more comfortable to talk about important issues to them or rather just their own mental health with other people. And it's been just uh, absolutely amazing to see them. And like, it's been amazing for me to see and I can, and also amazing for me to feel like I belong more in another community. 
Yeah, we've always known that we also have that community aspect, right? So first we focus on, um, the, the first focus is on the storytellers, right? And like making sure that we're all ha coming from positions of positive strength and that we're building our way up to that and feeling good about our past or current experiences with mental health. But on the community side, just promoting this event, I feel like I'm seeing little bits of, um, just like little teases of what could come Friday. Um, we've been going into classrooms and giving announcements. And I love that feeling of you talk about, um, you say the first words of, oh, we're doing a mental health storytelling show and people in the back of the class start perking up. And you can just kind of see that people are interested and there's this com camaraderie um, and kinship in knowing that this is something that's finally going to be talked about. That's awesome, right. There's um, getting to be the person that starts the conversation feels so good. It does. I think it's really hard, especially when it comes from a place of emotional vulnerability. Right. Um, and so, like, with any of our storytellers, like, they have to start that conversation by saying, I have struggled. Um, but when that second person steps up and says, me too, it just feels amazing. How can youth struggling with their own mental health get involved with MHATs? Originally, I put my phone number on all of the posters, which was surprisingly okay. No one spam texted me. Huh. Um, but... These days, I encourage them to email mhats, so M-H-A-T-S, info, at gmail.com, or come to the show and talk to one of us in person. But of course, also, those who are wanting to get more involved in the mental health or are looking especially for help along with mental health, we are by certainly not the only resource. I would... Um, point you to, to NAMI, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness, and, and there are many other groups uh, around um, around our city and, and around the state that are more than happy to facilitate conversation uh, about mental health. Definitely well said. Um, it's worth acknowledging that a lot of the stem of MHATs came from the West High Yana Club, which is You Are Not Alone Suicide Prevention. And that's a group that works to make the West High community just kinder um, and more open to conversations about mental health in the first place. And I don't think MHATs would be here if it weren't for the basis that West High Yana provided. So was there an aha moment for you where you realized that there was an issue with the way that society talks about mental health? Or was it kind of a gradual realization? I always tell the story of this aha moment. Um, I was, well, I'd had this really stressful conversation with my counselor at school um, because I was signing up for classes for this year, my junior year. And I chose not to take the hardest possible classes. And a lot of the people in the community I'm in kind of um, looked down on me for that. Mm. And my counselor was saying, no, you should be doing other things. Like, this is totally okay. And I left her office and I wasn't feeling great, so I went for a run. And I was on that run and I just kept having all of these ideas pop into my head. Um, and one of them was earlier that day, I'd, have a, I'd had a conversation with a friend um, and she mentioned to me, hey, um, you always talk about how much you like going to see your therapist. I think I'm going through something. Um, how do I get a therapist? And I think the coincidence of those two things happening on the same day made me realize I have made this decision to take care of myself by not having a super hard schedule. I have the time to invest in something else. And I've also seen the way that like, I am a person who talks about my experiences with depression and mental health has helped others. What if this was a bigger thing than just me? Um, and then I talked to Burke and 
I mean, that's how it got started. And then we applied for a grant. The rest is not history, but. <laughs> What's the next step? Individually or with the program or both? MHATS is not going to end after this year. It's going to keep on going. Personally, I, I'm sad that I can't join on that because I'm heading off to college. Uh, um, where are you going to college? University of Chicago. Chicago, um, Chicago. <laughs> heck yeah. A, so- a city with far more songs about it than Anchorage has. Um, yeah. But I'm excited to hear many stories and Natalie has to update me about what, what's going on at Matt's next year. Yeah, so I'm a junior in high school, so I have a full year left to see what happens. Um, so far, we're hoping to basically take the MHATS model, which is um, storytelling plus mental health advocacy, and introduce it to local groups during the summer. So, for example, Seeds of Change hmm. and AYA have both expressed interest, which will be really cool to kind of... The hardest part of MHATS, honestly, is recruiting and finding people who are willing to talk about um, mental health and their personal experience with it. Um, and so that should be fun. And then uh, the other hope is next school year, do one or two more cycles of the same thing where we recruit from all over the district, students from all of the high schoolers, uh, high schools, we even invite middle schoolers, I think, um, and then have a winter show and a spring show. What was like the one goal you had for this program that you achieved that you can say you like you nailed it? Setting like strict goals is hard yeah. when, when dealing with with personal growth. Like it, it, it's hard, uh, at least personally, to set out like uh, objective or quantitative. Uh, this has been achieved or has not. Like a black and white. I, I, I think. Have one. Well, okay, then I'm talking about myself then and my personal experience. Um, and, and so I, I, at least f- for me, I think I I find it difficult to when opening up conversations to say whether it, it is a, a, a white or black yes or no whether it's been achieved or not however i think that we have made progress for sure and, and that i'm proud of and that i think we've succeeded in. yeah um i know something that i really wanted to incorporate within m hats was the idea of um, so like something that is a protective factor for young people experiencing mental illness or um, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts is knowing that they matter to the people around them. And that was something that I entered this project with with the idea that that was something I would help convince other people. Whereas I've also seen it work on me throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we created the project, it was very much like this like standalone, like lone wolf thing of like a couple friends and like a mission. Um, but we were able to connect with StoryWorks. We were able to connect with NAMI. And in that process, I just had so much more exposure to adults like Reagan or um, Jason, who's the executive director at NAMI. Um, or we have um, like the people at Anchorage Youth Development Coalition, Lindsay and Julie email me like every other week and just like, hey, checking in, how's it going? Um, I've had teachers at school just tell me about how much they believe in the project. And I think the overwhelming support we've felt has really like made me feel like adults in the community care about me. Um, other students, when they express support, when they want to join, um, really furthers the idea of like mattering. And so like having started out with the goal of making sure other people felt they mattered and then having it work, hopefully within our whole group, but like I feel the weight of it personally has been something really nice to feel and look back on and just have a sense of achievement about. 
Thanks for listening to the very first At Me podcast brought to you by producers Zane Penny, Cornelius Nelson, and myself, Kendrick Morningstar Whiteman. Thanks to our contributing At Me producers, Madison Dooley and Devin Schreckengost. This podcast was made possible in part by a grant from the Alaska State Council on the Arts. In the future, we plan on expanding our range of discussion and maybe going into more contentious and interesting topics. This podcast was recorded at the Alaska Teen Media Institute Studios. If you want to learn more about what we do, or if you're a teen who wants to get involved, please visit our website at www.alaskateenmedia.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Kendrick Whiteman. Thank you for sticking with us in this existential nightmare we call life. Thanks again for listening to the At Me podcast. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to www.alaskateenmedia.org and click Donate.